0: Y'all who braved the cold and came on out here anyway, bless your heart. I'm so proud of y'all. How y'all doing? Good. Hmm. Oh, I was out of town, that's why I wasn't here. But I am back now. I am. Uh, we, we are continuing our look at uh, Living Hope. I want to thank Rev. Emmanuel Smith. For absence on last week and doing his normal stellar job. Uh, We started this series, oh, four sessions. This will be session number five. Uh, Looking at first Peter uh, and the general theme is living hope because the purpose of Peter's writing is to uh, instill hope and to maintain uh, a spirit of revival in the hearts and minds of Christians who are enduring uh, significant suffering. Uh, uh, The early church, at the time that 1 Peter was written, was undergoing persecution on two different fronts, from two different groups. Uh, There was the persecution that was coming from Orthodox Judaism, uh, that would be the Sanhedrin Council, uh, Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, groups of that sort within Judaism (coughs) that saw Christianity as a false movement uh, within Jewish circles that was designed to corrupt what they thought was their pure religion. And so they instilled persecution upon the early church from their standpoint. And then there was far more significant persecution that was coming against the church from the Roman Empire. Uh, the Roman government at that time was the most powerful government in the world, most powerful empire in the world. And uh, Emperor Nero uh, decided to unleash his anger, his fury at the church, most historians believe, to cover his own uh, trail of indiscretion, of criminal behavior, of unethical behavior. Uh, Nero wanted to engage in a rebuilding program uh, for Rome. He wanted to rebuild the city uh, at enormous expense. He didn't care what it cost, but he wanted to shape the city in his own image. Uh, he wanted it to have his stamp on it and the Roman Senate uh, refused. They, they, they would not support Nero's uh, attempts at uh, this rebuilding effort. And so <coughs> Nero decided, if I can't build it one way, I'll build it another. And he conspired to have significant portions of the city of Rome burned. And uh, the the logic being if it's burnt, you've got to replace it with something. Uh, And and this will be my opportunity to put my mark on the city of Rome. Well, uh, when eyes of scrutiny, when eyes of skepticism were turned on Nero and he feared that it would be discovered what he had done, he did what many I shouldn't say most, what many good politicians do, pointing the finger of blame at somebody else. And and the group that he decided to point fingers of blame at was the church, the, the, the Christian movement. He decided that, that, that he would make the Christians the scapegoat for his unethical, illegal, uh, criminal activity. And so the leaders of the church and Christians themselves were being subjected to terrible uh, persecution on the part of the Roman Empire. Uh, there are uh, written reports of Christians not only being arrested and their property being taken from them, but uh, being put to death and, and, and being put to death in terrible ways. Crucifixion, of, as, as we know, uh, is a terrible way to die, but it wasn't the only terrible way that they died. In, in, in some cases, Christians were dipped in tar, and then set on fire. And they were used as human torches uh, in order to light the courtyard of, uh, you know, know, have you ever seen a picture of a lynching? Uh, uh, You you, you ever see how they gather around the dead body that they have lynched still hanging on the tree, and they take pictures, and they actually celebrate, and they, they have a party, and they think, it's a wonderful thing. You know where they got that idea from? Roman Empire. Because thi- this was the kind of persecution that the Roman Empire was inflicting upon Christians. Don't, don't think that terrible persecution is a, is a 19th century or 20th century thing. It's been going on for a long, long time. So in the face of this, many Christians were turning away from Christianity not because they uh, had a change in belief, but because they had a change in conviction. Uh, they, 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 they had come to accept Christ as savior, but they were not willing to make a complete commitment to Christ for fear that that complete commitment might mean suffering and or death. And so part of the reason why Peter writes, uh, and part of the reason why the, uh, the treatise to the Hebrews, uh, what some people call the epistle, but it's not an epistle, it's actually a treatise. One of the reasons why these books were written were to encourage uh, those who were feigning in the faith to keep the faith. And so the, the, the general theme of 1 Peter is very simple. It is recognizing that Jesus is our living hope, and it is important for us to maintain that hope even as we face terrible persecution. Well, earlier on, uh, uh, one of the things that, that Peter tries to make clear is that we have confidence in the one who called us, that he will ultimately deliver us even if that deliverance means that we must pass by way of suffering. He says that our lives should be characterized by obedience, by holiness, by godly fear, that is reverence for God or worship and love for one another. And that's what we have covered up to this point. That's uh, all of chapter one and the very first couple of verses of chapter two. Tonight I want to go a little bit further. I invite your attention to First Peter chapter two, and we're going to look at verses four through 10. And in verses four through 10, Peter, describes the Messiah, describes Jesus as the living stone. And that's what we want to talk about, the living stone. Welcome to the living stone, the source of life. The workman took one look and threw it out. God set it in the place of honor. Present yourselves as building stones for the construction of a sanctuary, vibrant with life, in which you'll serve as holy priests, offering Christ-approved lives up to God. The scriptures provide precedent. Look, I'm setting a stone in Zion, a cornerstone in the place of honor. Whoever trusts in this stone as a foundation will never have cause to regret it. To you who trust him, he is a stone to be proud of. But to those who refuse to trust him, The stone the workmen threw out is now the chief foundation stone. For the untrusting, it's a stone to trip over, a boulder blocking the way. They trip and fall because they refuse to obey, just as predicted. But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instrument to do his work and speak out for him to tell others of the right I'm sorry of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something from rejected to accepted. So, in these verses, Peter moves from talking about the individual dimensions of our hope to the corporate dimensions of our hope. What do I mean by that? Individually, all of us are part of the body of Christ. We are the church. We are individual believers in Jesus Christ. And as such, we have responsibilities to God in our individual walk. Before you came in here, you had responsibilities to God. As you leave out of here, you have responsibilities to God. But while you're in here, you're a part of the church corporate. And the church corporate is a little different from the church individual. The church corporate calls upon us to trust one another as we trust in God. And for some of us, that's a hard thing to do. But unless and until we are able to learn how to rely on one another, we will always fail to maximize the potential that Christ has placed within his church. You might be a talented person, but you ain't got all the talent. I I, I don't care how talented you are. You you, you might be able to do several things well, but you can't do everything well. You need help from others in order to maximize. And, and, And so where you are weak, your brother or sister is strong and the church becomes stronger as we learn how to rely on one another. In this area, I'm, I, I'm, I'm weak, I need your help. In that area, I can help you because you seem to have a weakness where that's concerned. That's the whole point behind the church. I know that we're living in a time, and it's been this way for the last 25 or 30 years, where there has been a, a, a gradual falling away from the church, even those who claim to be uh, Christian, who, who, who claim to, to be believers. Uh, don't want to be associated with the church as an organized body of believers. And and we were saying at noon, one of the reasons why people say that is because they don't want to be a part of mess. Churches are always filled with mess. I ain't going back to the church because that church is full of mess. You show me a church that ain't got no mess. Help me out. Name it. I'll stand here and wait. We'll, we'll be here the rest of the time that we're going to be here. Because there is not a church that does not have some mess in it. Now, somebody's going to say, well then, well, then you're making my argument for me. I don't want to be a part of that because they all got mess. You got mess. So, without being a part of any group, you got your own mess. You woke up a hot mess this morning. You walked out of your house a mess. You made God promises this morning that, that you were going to do better today than you did yesterday. And you couldn't get out the driveway before you started messing up. So, 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 so while, while, you're, while, while you're all upset about the mess that exists within the church corporate, what you gonna do about the mess that exists within the church individual? You can't stay away from you. You can't run and hide from you. The beautiful thing about our relationship with Jesus is that Jesus helps us cope with our mess. Our mess individual and our mess corporate. And the work to which we have been called ought to be so important that it rises in priority over the messes that would want to keep us away. Yes, there there are problems within every church, but the work is more important than our problems. The work is more important than our shortcomings, the work is more important than our restrictions, the work is more important than anything and everything else. And so Peter turns his attention in chapter two away from uh, the church as an individual and talks about the church Corporately, How does he do that? In verses 4 through 6, he talks about our relationship being built upon trusting in Christ as the living stone. And then in verses 7 and 8, he talks about the fate of those who don't trust in Christ as the living stone. And then in verses 9 and 10, he talks about the relationship of the trusting with each other, fostered by our relationship with the living stone. So those are the three things that we want to look at very briefly tonight. The relationship of the trusting to the stone, the relationship of the untrusting to the stone, and the relationship of the trusting to each other, fostered by our relationship with the stone. Welcome to the living stone, the source of life. The workman took one look and threw it out. God set it in the place of honor. Present yourselves as building stones for the construction of a sanctuary vibrant with life in which you'll serve as holy priests, offering Christ-approved lives up to God. The scriptures provide precedent. Look, I'm setting a stone in Zion, a cornerstone in the place of honor. Whoever trusts in this stone as a foundation will never have cause to regret it. To you who trust him, He's a stone to be proud of, but to those who refuse to trust him, the stone the workman threw out is now the chief cornerstone. Peter calls out attention to Jesus by referring to him as the living stone. And he draws an immediate and an important contrast. The contrast is simply this. He is the living stone. But he's the stone that people rejected. But even though people rejected him, God established him. And because God established him, it does not matter what people did who rejected him. In fact, God is such a God that he used their rejection in order to accomplish his establishment of him. You ever think about that? Whenever we get into Lenten season and we start talking about Calvary and the cross and all this other kind of stuff and and, and the fact that Jesus went to the cross, how did Jesus get to the cross? Jesus Jesus didn't put himself on a cross. Folk put him on a cross. And folk put him on a cross thinking, if I kill him, I'll get rid of him. They hadn't listened to him. Because he said, a couple of years before they killed him, he said, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men under me. So, in their trying to shut him down, they actually lifted him up. And it's funny how, how God can use those things that people intend for harm and bad for good. Joseph says in, in, in Genesis when his brothers are, are made to realize that that the one that they thought that they had gotten rid of was the one who was going to end up being their savior and, and they come to him and they're scared to death of what he's gonna do. And, and he says, don't worry about it, it's okay. The, 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 this was all in God's plan. You meant it for home. God used it for good. What was true in Joseph's life? What was true in the ministry of Jesus? is true for us as well. One of, the, one of the, 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 the wonderful things that we come to realize as we continue our walk with Christ is just how God can use things that people mean to hurt us in order to make us better, in order to make us stronger. We, we were talking, uh, we just finished a Bible study a couple of weeks ago uh, in Second Corinthians, uh, in, in the noon Bible study, and that wasn't evening Bible study, it was the noon Bible study, and we got to the part in Second Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. And he talks about how God gave him the thorn. He calls, he calls the thorn an interesting thing. He calls it a gift from God. He, 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 said, he said, God allowed Satan to, to, to give me this thorn. But I have come to recognize that the, the, wh- wh- while, while God let Satan give me the thorn, the thorn wasn't from Satan. The thorn was from God. And the thorn was actually a blessing to me. You ever think of your your thorn? Everybody in here got a thorn. Some of y'all can name him. Or her. Or it. You got a thorn. I don't want to just make it a person. It might be a thing. So so everybody in here has a thorn. You ever think of your thorn as your blessing? Have you ever stopped to realize that the purpose for your thorn might not be to punish you, but might be to teach you? Paul said, my thorn taught me something. You want to know what my thorn taught me? My thorn taught me that I can make it through anything. Because I, I, I went to the Lord and I said to the Lord, not once, not twice, but three times. Take this thing from me. It's painful. It's, it's difficult. It's humiliating. It's embarrassing. I don't want to deal with it. And God said, I ain't going to take it from you. But I will give you enough grace to where you can carry it. And Paul said, I learned from the experience that that, that when I am weak, it's when I'm strong. Because in my weakness, I learned how to rely upon God. His strength. That's essentially what Peter is saying here about Jesus, the Messiah, as, as the stone. He says it's a stone that men rejected. It's a stone that the world cast away. It's a stone that the world had nothing to do with. But it's a stone that God established, the Father established. And if God established it, it doesn't matter what anybody else does with it. Paul says, at some point, if God is for us, who can be against us? So so, so the first hopeful thing that we see here is that the living stone, the Messiah, was established by the Father. And that establishment supersedes the world's rejection of him. Now, you're going to say, how does that relate to me? How does that help me? It helps you because you're a part of the stone. That's a read, read, read what the text says. After it says the workman took one look and threw it out, God said it in the place of honor, it says present yourselves as building stones for the construction of a sanctuary vibrant with life. He draws an immediate connection between Jesus as the living stone, and us, the church, as building stones. The key is you have to build off of something. You have to have a proper foundation. And the only proper foundation is a relationship with God. The connection is that you're related to God. You're related to Christ. And in that connection, you have strength. Strength that you don't even know you have. Everybody in here ought to have a testimony or something that the Lord brought you through that you didn't think you could get through. You've said at some point in your life, I can't make it. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't think I'm going to make it. And yet, here you are. God has kept you. In spite of it all. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. That is correct. And so our connection, our organization, is through him. And without him, we are just disorganized, disparate pieces. So, so, so it is absolutely essential that we recognize our relationship to Christ as fundamental to who we are. Now, when he talks about the building of a temple, he ain't talking about a sanctuary like, like, like the one we're sitting in. You do know who the temple is, right? You. You are the temple. So, so, so when he talks about uh, the construction of a sanctuary that is vibrant with life, he's talking about you as the storehouses of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. You do know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Scripture says so. And so it's important for us to recognize that if we are a sanctuary set apart to God, then there ought to be a holiness about us. When I was a kid, there were things that we would do out in the street. I guess I'm pointing in the wrong direction. It would be out in that street because this church wasn't here at that time. We would do stuff out in the street. But once we stepped onto the, the grounds of Chicago Missionary Baptist Church, we wouldn't do it because we were on church ground. We, 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 we would cuss in the street because we wanted to make ourselves look big to other folk. So, so, so we would cuss in the street. But when you stepped on church ground, you ain't going to cuss on church ground. You ain't going to lie on church ground, that they're, they're just things that you weren't supposed to do because you held church ground in high and sacred esteem. Well, do you hold you in that kind of esteem? When you consider the fact that you are the sanctuary, that you are built upon Jesus as the chief stone, the cornerstone if you will, the foundation so do you consider yourself as sacred? Because if you consider yourself as sacred, then there's stuff that you ought to stop doing. Right now. If you are, if you are the sanctuary, and understand, I'm not talking about maintenance of rules. I, we said this at noon also. We're not talking about the maintenance of rules. We're talking about living in a loving relationship. If you love Jesus, it's not about rules. It's about your love for him. I'll do right by Jesus because it's Jesus. Not because there's a rule that says I have to do it. When when when, when I was uh, uh, there was a church that I pastored in which one person, whenever they prayed, would say, "Lord, bless this one and bless that one and bless the other one and bless all those I'm duty bound to pray for." And I always found that phrase amusing. Duty bound. So, so, so if I wasn't duty bound, I wouldn't ask you to bless them. I, I'm doing I'm doing it because because the rules say I need to do it. And there are people who live their lives that way. They live their lives by rules. In fact, you you all were taught when you were younger that that the maintenance of the rules was so important. Got to play by the rules. Got to live by the rules. Well, in life, you run into situations for which there are no rules. And in those situations, you have to ask yourself this simple question. What is the most loving thing? Because the most loving thing is what Jesus would do. If we are connected with Christ, then our sole concern should be doing the most loving thing in each and every circumstance that arises. And I promise you, if you do the most loving thing, it doesn't matter what the rules are. You're going to be all right. Something else you need to understand about that, and that is, some rules ain't right. So, 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 so when we fall back on rules, we're actually using rules in order to do wrong stuff. Seem to recall that, 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 that it, it was slightly before my time, but not a whole lot, that there was a rule that said you couldn't ride in certain places on a bus. It was a rule. It was a law. I I, I, I remember very well that, that there was a rule that said that Negro children had to sit in one waiting room while white children sat in another waiting room to see the same doctor. Doctor had two waiting rooms. One that was uh, cherry paneled walls and and, and and soft lamps and 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 magazines there for people to read, and one that was small and sterile and not much more than a closet with 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 broken tile on the floor and a fluorescent light that hung. Yet we were all going to see the same doctor. It was a rule. You, you, and, and, And and, and one time, I actually walked over to the other one, and my mama grabbed me and yanked me baby, you don't go over there. You can't can't go over there. It was a rule. It wasn't right, but it was a rule. Some rules are contradictory. Some rules contradict other rules. And, 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 and then you're left in a quandary. Well, do I follow this rule or do I follow that rule? Here's what you do. Forget all the rules. And simply embrace Jesus. And if you embrace Jesus, Jesus will help you to know what to do, when to do, and how to do it. Jesus will help you to know when to say something. And he'll help you to know when to shut up. Because every situation doesn't call for you to talk. Jesus will help you know when to pray and when to just sit still. Some folk think they got to, well, I'm going to come in. Ain't nobody else praying. I'm going to pray. Sometimes you just need to shut up. It is, it, it is not the appropriate time. Well, there's never a bad time to pray. Have you lived? Yes. There's never a bad time for you to pray to yourself, but sometimes it's not the right time to pray in front of other folk. We, we, we were just looking at a passage of, of, of Scripture uh, Sunday, and and, and I, I didn't deal with, with the part, uh, the details of when Jesus sent out uh, the 70. I talked about the fact that he sent out uh, the 70 in pairs, but he gave some specific instructions when he sent them out. And he said, when you go to a house... Uh, Pray God's peace upon the house. If it's well received, stay there. If it's not well received, pick up your stuff, shake the dust off your feet, and move on. Not every situation calls for you to do the same thing all the time. In fact, sometimes consistency is characteristic of a small mind. All I want to do is do the same thing in, every, in each and every Situation, when each and every situation doesn't call for you to do the same thing. I got a better idea. Follow what the Lord says. And if you follow what the Lord says, the Lord will lead you and guide you into where he would have you to go. So our relationship is built upon our relationship with him as long as he's at the center of what we are doing, then regardless of how others feel about him, he will make everything right with us. To you who trust him, he's a stone to be proud of. But to those who refuse to trust him, the stone the workman threw out is now the chief foundation stone. For the untrusting, it's a stone to trip over a boulder blocking the way. They trip and fall because they refuse to obey, just as predicted. Open your Bibles, you ought to have one with you. If you don't, turn to the Bible on your app, on your cell phone, and find Psalm 118. Y'all came to Bible study and didn't bring a Bible. Really? Hear how quiet they got when I brought that up. Well, I was just trying to get in out the cold. It was cold outside, so I decided to come where I thought it might be warm. To keep it, in, the the key verse is verse twenty-two. To keep it in in its context, start with verse twenty-one. Thank you for responding to me. You've truly become my salvation. The stone the masons discarded as flawed is now the capstone. This is God's work. We rub our eyes. We can hardly believe it. This is the very day God acted. Let's celebrate and be festive. Salvation now, God. Salvation now. Oh, yes, God. A free and full life. Turn to Isaiah chapter 8. key verse is verse 14, but to keep it in its context, we'll start with verse 11. God spoke strongly to me, grabbed me with both hands, and warned me not to go along with this people. He said, don't be like this people, always afraid somebody is plotting against them. Don't fear what they fear, don't take on their worries. If you're going to worry, worry about the holy. Fear God of the angel armies. The holy can be either a hiding place or a boulder blocking your way. The rock standing in the willful way of both houses of Israel, a barbed wire fence preventing trespass to the citizens of Jerusalem. Many of them are going to run into that rock and get their bones broken. God tangled up in that bar, I'm sorry, get tangled up in that barbed wire and not get free of it. I call your attention to both these passages of Scripture, Psalm 118, verse 22, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14, because what Peter does here, what the writer of 1 Peter does here, because I'm not sure that Peter actually wrote 1 Peter, uh, what, what, what the writer actually does here is he combines two Scriptures, Psalm 118, 22, and Isaiah 14, to talk about the fate of those who have been exposed to the living stone but reject the living stone. He says that for the untrusting, it's a stone to trip over. It's a boulder blocking the way. I want you to think about that. He is not suggesting, and neither does the Old Testament Scripture suggest, that the devil is blocking the way but that you are blocking the way because you won't embrace what God has prepared for you. I am, I've gotten to the age now where I can say it almost the way I want to say it. I'm so sick and tired of cowardly Christians blaming the devil for your own mess. You have done this. You have chosen to reject the one who saves you. And then you get mad at the one who saves you, who you rejected, because he won't save you in spite of the fact that you rejected him. Now, if that ain't a convoluted mess, I don't know what is. God has provided a means of salvation for each and every one of us. That means is called Jesus, the Messiah. At the name of Jesus, every knee must bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and every tongue must confess that Christ is the Lord of all to the glory of God the Father. There is but one name Under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. Salvation has been provided for you. But like wayward children, we reject the salvation that God provides and then get mad because God won't save us the way we want to be saved. I'm sorry, God doesn't answer to you. You answer to him. How can you in one breath reject Jesus and in the next breath get mad at God? That's the best you got for me? You you ain't got nothing else for me? I want something else. I want something different. I want something more in line with, with my way of thinking. If you are that person, The psalmist in Psalm 118 and Isaiah in Isaiah 8 say that it is your lack of trust, your lack of faith, your lack of willingness to submit to the Messiah that God has provided that causes you to be encumbered, to trip, to stumble, to fall, to be blocked by the very thing that was sent to save you. You do know that not everybody loves Jesus, right? And I ain't talking about the devil and his ems. Y'all put everything on the devil. I'm talking about folk. Folk just like you. Maybe one of y'all sitting in here. Not everybody loves Jesus. How dare you suggest that I don't love Jesus? Okay, well, turn in your Bibles John chapter 14 this is Jesus speaking on the night before his crucifixion to his disciples verse 21 the person who knows my commandments and keeps them, that's who loves me. And the person who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and make myself plain to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said, Master, why is it that you're about to make yourself plain to us, but not to the world? Jesus, in responding, because a loveless world is a sightless world. If anyone loves me, he will carefully keep my word and my father will love him. We'll move right into the neighborhood. Not loving me means not keeping my words. The message you are hearing isn't mine. It's the message of the father who sent me. So let's talk about this, 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 this who loves Jesus and who doesn't. You can, you can claim to love him all you want to with your mouth if you won't keep his commands. It doesn't matter what you say, you're a liar. And the truth ain't in you. You're lying. And you ought to be cautious of that because you are estranging yourself from the only means of your salvation. So that it is not the devil Again, and, and, and forgive me for, for continuing to, report, to, to, to revert back to the earlier Bible but I, I told the folk at noon, y'all keep blaming the devil for stuff. The devil ain't got no power, except the power you give him. You should be respectful of the devil, but you should not be fearful of the devil. In fact, the scripture says the devil ought to fear you. James says, if you resist the devil, he will flee. Now, now, now flee doesn't mean I'll leave. That's more than he'll leave you alone. When when, when you say somebody fled the scene, that doesn't mean that he just folded up his arms and said, well, I ain't going to bother you no more. Fled the scene means he ran. James uses very clear language, resist the devil. He will flee from you. So my question is, why are you worried about the devil? What, what, what's the devil got that you scared of him? If, if he will flee from you, why are you scared of him? Y'all been watching The Exorcist and The Omen and all this other crazy stuff, been reading all these crazy novels that make the devil out to be more than he is. Let me suggest, stop reading that junk and read your Bible. ought to be scared of you but but if you reject what Christ has offered to you then don't blame the devil you have to take responsibility for that yourself I tell people all the time and, and I've said it in here many times if you end up in hell pat yourself on the back when you get there And say, Job well done. Because you gotta work to go to hell. Did you know that? You gotta work your way. You can't work your way into heaven, but you can work your way into hell. So, 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 so. If you find yourself in hell, than say I got what I deserved. I I have done it to myself. But you are, I'm finished, but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be holy people. God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Three things I want you to see here and we're done. First, the emphasis does not fall on individual believers and their individual blessings but on the corporate body of Christ. You are chosen, you are the ones chosen by God. That's plural, not singular. You are chosen as God's instruments. Plural, not singular. So the emphasis is on us as a body. It is incumbent upon us to find ways to continue to keep the body together and growing. And that's on you. It helps if you believe that you are who God says you are. If God says that you are the light of the world, then believe you are the light of the world. If God says you are the salt of of the earth, then believe that you are the salt of the earth. Those were were, were phrases that Jesus used. Well, here, the writer of 1 Peter, speaking on behalf of Christ, says that you are chosen, that you are set apart. Understand, you're not set apart because of how wonderful you are. You're set apart because you have chosen to believe. And you, in in your choosing to believe, in your making the choice to believe, you have set yourself apart for God's divine work. I don't know if if, if they still have this commercial that comes on or not. Uh, military recruitment, where they the Marine Corps had a commercial that ran for years that talked about the few, the proud, the Marines, and 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 and. It made it sound like a group that you couldn't get into. Uh, no, ain't no draft. They, 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 they didn't come looking for you. You had to go looking for them. But once you made the choice to become a part of them, then becoming a part of them, they set you apart by giving you skills and heightening your abilities and made you better than you were before. That's what happens when you come to Jesus. He makes you better with him than you could ever possibly be without him. There's some talented people out there in the world who who do not embrace Jesus as their savior. And yet they are super talented folk. Imagine how much more talented they would be if they would accept Jesus Christ as their savior. And if they would take their talents and their abilities and say, here, Lord, I'm putting what you've given in my hand back in your hand. And I'm asking you to help me to use it to your glory and to your honor. He speaks of the church corporate. Second, the corporate descriptions are tied to the spiritual Israel. If you are a part of God's church, you must recognize the connection between the God of your ancestors and the God who has brought you to this wonderful place where you are now. In other words, you're not the first person to walk this way. Others came this way before you. You don't stand in your own stead. And you don't just stand for Jesus Christ. But you stand on the shoulders of people who came before you on people who suffered and bled and died in order to make possible what you presently enjoy. There's a connection between what was to what is. And it ought to be part of our goal to make sure that what is currently in our care is passed on to those who come behind. That's part of our stewardship responsibility. In business, when when, when a person starts a business and and, and works 25, 30, 40, 50 years in a business and then hands the business off to their progeny, their children, or to somebody else that they hand it off to, and and the business folds under that person. What is it y'all say about this? They were given something wonderful and they killed that thing. How sad. His daddy, his mama, his granddaddy worked 25, 30, 40 years to build that business up and he just took it and tore it apart. Well, and I agree with you. That's sad. That's terrible. How much worse is it if we take what Jesus has given to us and what our ancestors took and built into something with nothing, nothing. Third grade education, fifth grade education, could barely read new scripture more by memory than by what they could read. But they knew how to call on the name of Jesus. Didn't know what tithe was. They had never even heard of the word tithe, but they knew how to put money in church. Mortgages due this month. We gon' we we got to do something. When I was a boy in this church, when worship was over, I couldn't wait to run down. Back then at building. couldn't wait to run down the stairs to the back, cause in the back they sold ice cream. Hattie Eli made homemade ice cream, and, and 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 a cup of homemade ice cream was a nickel. And my daddy would get mad because I would spill ice cream on his coat on the way home. He'd say, I bought ice cream at the store yesterday. What you buying ice cream from there for? Because it was better when Miss Eli made it. And the ice cream that you got from the store. And you know what happened with with, with the money that they used to sell that ice cream? They coupled that with the money that folk got from selling rags. And they coupled that with the money that folk got from going and picking up bottles. Y'all know anything about redeeming bottles? Folk folk would go out, not for themselves, for the church. And, And they would gather up these nickels and pennies and quarters and they pay the mortgage with pennies and nickels and quarters and you sitting up here working at a job earning 65, 75, 100 thousand dollars a year and you can't give back to the Lord a portion of what he's given to you why the church always talking about money because you ain't got no ministry without no money That's why. It's warmer in here than it is out there, ain't it? You know how it got to be that way? The heat's on. Do you know what kept the heat on? It wasn't singing hymns. And it wasn't preaching. And it wasn't prayer. Energy wanted money. them cushioned pews you sitting on. Feel pretty good, don't you? You know, when these pews were put in here in 1972, wasn't no cushions on them. At some point, somebody decided, we need to put cushions on them pews. Do, 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 do you know who paid for that? Money. Somebody decided, we're we, we going to pay money in order to do this. And we come in here and act like we can't put nothing in God's church. People who didn't have a high school diploma saw to it that you got a master's degree. Yeah. and You can't come to church. I ain't got time for all of that. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. It, it, it would be a shame to take what, what, what the Lord has given and what others have built upon and we let it fall apart because we don't recognize the value of what God has given to us. Last thing, the work of God is transformative. When we recognize that we are chosen and we are set apart and we are called in order to do a holy work, it transforms and it transforms in three ways. It transforms us internally. We are personally changed. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you are no longer the same person that you were. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. So you, you, you are changed internally. And then you are changed interpersonally. That means you are bound to each other. Whether or not you like one another, You still bound to one another. I got a brother and a sister. I didn't like either one of them at points in my life. Always trying to tell me what to do. Always trying to push me around. Always trying to boss me. I didn't like them and we'd fight. We'd roll around on the floor and we'd punch at each other and scratch at each other and call each other names and my mama would come in and she'd yank us apart and she'd say, y'all brother and sister, y'all tied to one another. Don't care what you feel about one another. Y'all tied to one another for the rest of your lives. I know you don't like everybody who comes to church with you. Say. That's why y'all look at which pew y'all gonna sit on when y'all come in. Y'all, y'all wanna make sure that you don't sit next to somebody that you don't wanna sit. That's why y'all put your purses up next to you so that can't nobody get too close to you. But, 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 but I'm here to tell you, you're bound to one another. You are brother. And sister, not by physical blood, but spiritually you are tied to one. You are changed. You are now tied, bound to one another. So so you're transformed internally. You're transformed interpersonally. And finally, you're transformed externally because now your priority is no longer you. Your priority is Christ. Jesus said, I must work the work of him who sent me and what was true for Jesus is true for us. We must work the work of the one who sent us, the one who called us. This same Peter will say later in this book, you were called from darkness to the marvelous light. Well, if he called you, he called you to do something. And part of that doing is changing the world that is around us. The musicians had to go someplace else. Let's stand together. Repeat after me, please. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And give you peace. Amen. Y'all have a good evening.